the incomparable. Number 449, March 2019. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell, and in this episode, we are talking about a science fiction film that I think is is maybe one of the best science fiction films of this decade. It is 2011's Source Code, directed by Duncan Jones, written by Ben Ripley, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, and here in various pods with me. We're podcasters, therefore we are in <laughs> pods. Oh, very good. Are we dead or alive? Uh, remains to be seen. Let's talk to these wonderful people. Anthony Johnston is here. Hello. Hello, Jason. This is Beleaguered Castle. <laughs> That's right. We're all in the Beleaguered <laughs> Castle now. That is the, the truth. Uh, Dan Morin is also here. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Out here, the clocks only move in one direction. Mm, excellent. I'm going to uh, have more than eight minutes to talk to Erica Ensign. Mm. Hi. It is really really cold here <laughs> that's what i hear that's what i hear <laughs> yep. get, climb, climb in one of those warm pods oh no now it's cold in the pod no it's cold in the pod i have to i have to do <sighs> some rewiring please introduce the next person while i'm busy yeah that's good that's good and uh here is our controller he's uh he, he occasionally turns the cameras to look at us and bark things at us it's james thompson hello i am the one and only there's nobody i'd rather be oh <laughs> <laughs> All right, so source code. Uh, I guess we should talk about it briefly without blowing the spoiler horn. Um, first, I would like to say you should just go. You should see it before you hear us mm-hmm. talk any more about it, even mm-hmm. before the spoiler horn, because I can tell you a little bit more that might be enticing. But um, I, I would like to say, if you would like to trust me, take me at my word. This is a good movie. You should just watch it. Don't even watch the trailer. No, yes. or the no. I, my kid. My kids hadn't seen it, and we watched it. And I, I had, uh, I bought it on iTunes, and I, I played it uh, before they came into the room, so that they couldn't even see the description of what the movie was oh, about. Yeah. Nice, <laughs> and that's the way to do it. It is definitely one of those movies that it is. You will get the best effect by just going in cold. I saw this. On the strength of Duncan Jones's previous movie, Moon, I enjoyed yes. that so much. Yeah. I, I just went to see this sight unseen, and I'm really glad I did. I didn't see any trailers or anything, because, yeah, going in cold uh, is just such a great experience for watching this particular movie. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of movies that you could compare this movie to, but if you do, you're spoiling the premise of this movie yes. and also those movies. Yes. yes, yes, it is. It is. Yes, that's what we'll say before we start talking in more detail about it. Is it's a good movie that is like other good movies. More than that, we yeah, shall. I, it. I saw it several years after it came out the first time. I can't. Must have been four or five years ago now, and just sort of on a whim at my cousin's house. And he was like, "Oh yeah, this is. Pretty, I heard this was pretty good. We should watch this." And I, I remembered seeing the trailers, but I didn't remember much of what it was about. And it was. Yeah, I agree. Like going in with as little as possible really enhances the experience. There's not a lot of movies I feel like that do a good job of pulling it off. But yeah, I've got I've got other ones to compare it to too. But we'll leave it. We'll, we'll leave it. There. Yeah, and suffice to say, the title is also meaningless, which is good, right? You can't guess anything mm-hmm. yes. from the title. What does it mean? True. Okay, so go away. And it's watch about the programmers, surely. It's, it surely it is. Yeah, that's it. Go into that. There, there. What is the source code? All right. Now that we said that, we're gonna we, we can compare it to other movies that are also available, like Groundhog Day and Edge of Tomorrow. This is a movie of uh, and others. Others are also available. We were listing them all last night. It, this is a movie about uh, about repetition, at least for a while. And the, obviously, the elevator pitch. This this script was apparently kicking around in Hollywood for several years. It was like on the blacklist of. 
well-liked but unproduced scripts for several years. Um, the, the elevator pitch is clearly, um, we have the technology to send a man back in time to prevent a terrorist bombing, but he can only, he only has eight minutes to solve, solve it, but he can keep repeating those eight minutes for as long as he needs to. And that is... That is part of what this movie is about. It's not all of what this movie is about, which is good. Just like uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise is a repetition movie, but it ends up, you kind of have to have a little more. It can't just be replaying the same few minutes over and over again. Or that that Star Trek The Next Generation episode. There are a bunch like this that, that are out there. I actually think it's not even the best like it does sort of loosely adhere to that but it is like it's such an onion of a movie because each time you peel back a revelation there's something else going on or there's like a misdirection or there's something that you like another whole layer to the experience and if you compare it to something like Groundhog Day uh, Groundhog Day I, I looked it up has 38 loops that you see and this wow. only has like eight or Five nine or Dep- yeah, even, it depends yeah, how you count yeah. but yeah it is an onion of a movie I love that Dan that is really good uh, because it is yeah. one of the delights in this and watching it back for this podcast is I know what the entirety of the movie is but it is really delightful to see how it plays with you and how it's like yeah. okay you think this is what the movie is now there's this other element oh it's different and then there's and, and it just keeps stacking on the other elements while not forgetting the fact that we keep going back to the train i had forgotten how weird it is from the very beginning because yes. despite what i said despite what i said earlier I, I did see the trailer for it and the trailer made me want to watch it but i it was long ago because i saw it in the theater i didn't remember the trailer giving away all that much because I remember being surprised in the movie theater at you know how science fictiony it was. I wasn't expecting right. that, and I really wanted my sister to go and see it because she loves Jake Gyllenhaal, but she lives in Chicago and she takes a Metra train to oh, work boy. every single day. Oh, wow. So she watched the trailer and she she just noped <laughs> out immediately. Yeah. Because, yeah. So it's, Amber, if you're listening, watch this movie. Stop listening. Go watch. It's funny too because it, it reminded me. The first thing I thought was I had forgot. Yeah, like Erica, I kind of forgot how it started. It's very like uh, you know the first moment that we. Get get jake gyllenhaal is very like startling as it should be it's it's alienating and like dislocating and i kept thinking i kept thinking oh my god like person waking up on a train how many other movies have i seen this in before right? and i thought of unbreakable uh which yeah. i think pretty much starts almost exactly my, the same way my son called that out he was like whoa this is like unbreakable i'm like hmm. and uh, not a, not a movie but uh the recent bodyguard show oh, also yeah. starts with a guy that's waking right. up on a train <laughs> i was yes. like oh that's a time-honored uh trope it's now a thing. Okay, we should probably so it is it has science fictional elements. There is an explanation for why he's repeating. Uh, there is more to it than that. There are layers that are are uh, you can peel back like an onion. Anything else we should mention before we fire the spoiler horn, or should we just go and in, dive into it? There's one thing which I'm not sure if this will persuade people that they should watch it more or not. But f- like this is a thriller, you know. Yeah. It is, yes. it is yeah. a, and it's a lovely, tidy compact elegant compelling thriller it's beautifully constructed it's a a lovely fine piece of clockwork thrillers are kind of my favorite genre i love reading them i love watching them i write them i love thrillers and yet and and i've seen this movie several times and yet every time i come back to re-watch this movie i can barely remember the thriller details (laughs) Like, that, that, I can never remember who did it or how he figures it out or how they get caught or yep. even what their motivation was. That's because I, we erase you at the end of the <laughs> yeah, session. Yeah, I get neuralized, yeah. No, but what I do remember instead 
are all the emotional yes. beats. Mm. And mm. I don't want to get too deep into this because that is spoilery, but all the sort of really emotional stuff, the relationships, the development of those relationships, the tragedy of Jake Gyllenhaal's character's situation, those are the bits that I remember. And that's what really sticks with mm-hmm. me, despite the fact that that's kind of, you know, that's the frosting on top of a, a very <laughs> finely constructed clockwork thriller plot. I was going to say, you know, that's exactly, I thought the same thing, Anthony, the, about the thriller, about like, I made me, it makes me think of a Hitchcock movie almost. Like, mm. certainly elements of it are very Hitchcockian. Or I guess my Strangers other on the train that are, explodes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. My other argument was that it's a, uh, it's like a, it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie that's well done. Like, like, <laughs> oh, hey, like a, I mean, I like, I, I, we know of my love for M. Night Shyamalan movies that are maybe not as great, but like, I feel like it does, it kind of gets the essence of when he. He makes a really good movie the same it hits those same kind of suspense craft moments like thriller moments where it's just really well put together and it, it does have the like surprises but it's not sort of it's not it's not a fulcrum on that whole surprise in the same way that i think some of his work is i mean i think after having seen moon first you know i mm-hmm. did come into this thinking okay is there going to be some kind of twist it's going to, to be this? weird <laughs> yeah i, I think mean, it's a moon after this i, I, yeah, I, I really too. like moon i mean i think Me it's too, it's, yeah. it's a sort of uh, a classic in that that old style uh, of films but i absolutely hated mute which mm. was his fourth film i think and i haven't seen the warcraft movie but uh <laughs> It, I, I'm somewhat concerned for the Rogue Trooper movie that is, I think, the next thing he's doing, <laughs> oh, which yeah, is a, yeah. a 2000 AD British thing, uh, which could be very easily messed up a la original Judge Dredd. Um, we shall see. We shall see. We shall see. Yeah, I, I also saw Moon and uh, apparently Moon... Uh, was strange enough that that it it got the attention of the people who were making this and they went with this script to Duncan Jones and said uh, we think this might be a good fit and I think it was a good fit I think that it's a oh, more, right. it's a more yeah. straightforward yeah. movie in every possible way than Moon but uh, you know he I I think what's interesting is his career trajectory since then um I guess this movie convinced him that he could do a big budget action movie so we made that Warcraft movie but like I would I I love the idea of intelligent thrillers like Duncan Jones should be making intelligent thrillers yes. because he, this movie mm-hmm. shows, I think, that he's very, very good at it. And I think the beauty of you talk about the twist and we mentioned my, M. Night Shyamalan. We mentioned the fact that Moon is a movie with a twist. Um, I think the beauty of this script and what serves it so well is that because it's not a twist it is the layers of an onion um you don't have to there's not i i feel like there's not like a plot twist in this movie that's the big one instead it's like the more you analyze what's happening the stranger things get and there is a moment at the end where you're like oh i didn't see that coming but it i I feel like it's all just you're you're going down a ramp out into the weirdness of this movie gradually (laughs) like it just keeps on happening to you as you watch it practically every scene is a plot twist yeah Exactly right, yeah. and we're we're experiencing that discovery along with the main character, which right. is something mm. that I yeah, I quite yeah. like. I mean, I also like to 
discovery movies where the people in the in the fiction understand what's going on and it takes me a while to catch up. That's fun too, but I think it's more fun and then I feel more connected to the main character right. when we are on this journey together. So yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal and I we're connected now. Yeah, you are. <laughs> you got you got you got some connections there. All right, we're here. We're going to do it in a moment. So go go watch Source Code and then we're going to talk about it with full on spoilers in a moment. Uh, but first, before I blow the spoiler horn, I want to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you by ExpressVPN. You can probably hold your hands up and admit uh, cybercrime. That's something that other people deal with. You don't have to deal with it, right? But you know what? Stealing data from people like you and me via public Wi-Fi is one of the easiest ways for people to make money in a very bad way. So don't leave your internet connection unencrypted because your passwords, your credit card numbers, other stuff kid can be vulnerable. It's not good. You shouldn't do it. It's a bad practice. Protect yourself from bad people by using ExpressVPN, which works by securing and anonymizing your internet browsing. ExpressVPN encrypts your data, hides your IP address. The apps are easy to use. They run seamlessly in the background of your devices. You can turn on ExpressVPN protection with a single click. I use that on my iPad. I have the app. I open it up, tap once, connected. Everything going off my iPad at that point is encrypted. And that means that if I go down to the cafe, I go to the Starbucks where they've got the public Wi-Fi, my data is not being sent over the clear. My data is all encrypted. Nobody can see what I'm doing. It's the number one VPN service as rated by TechRadar. Comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee for less than $7 a month. You can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I'm using. Not right now. I'm, I'm at home. But when I am in, at Starbucks, it's the same as I use there. If you ever use public Wi-Fi and want to keep the bad guys away from your data, you need ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Snell to learn more. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free by going to expressvpn.com slash Snell. That is expressvpn.com slash Snell for three months free with a one-year package. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for supporting The Incomparable. All right, let us fire off the spoiler horn. So, boy, let's peel that onion, folks. <laughs> I'm crying already, yum, yum. Jason. It's a big yep. onion. Oh, my goodness. So, so uh, Jake Gyllenhaal wakes up and he doesn't know what's going on. And then that first iteration comes. And we're like, okay, now, we, now we're seeing almost like the premise of the movie, which is why does he not know who he is? And he looks like somebody else and all of that. And he's confused and has to have this, like the cards, which is very like Manchurian candidate, kind of yeah. like brainwashing mm-hmm. references going on there. And she reads the, the key phrase to him. And then he remembers her name. And it's this thing that, you know, obviously they've been going through. We find out later that at the end of every kind of mission cycle, he gets his memory wiped. Um, and, and that's that's where we start is that first layer is he is a soldier who is working in some weird sci-fi project for the military um, and they're sending him on a mission back in time basically to try to solve this case and do we in the first iteration is he told that that the bombing has already happened and he's not no he's, no it's no a while. because yeah. no because in the second one in the second one, he tries to disarm it. And you, as an audience, think, oh, that must be his job to disarm the bomb. And then you discover that actually there's, you know, there's no point to that and it's who did it that matters. That's the second time around. But you completely skipped 
the as I do. first iteration. <laughs> and that's really important because sure. the first iteration is what obviously, you know, is used to orientate us as an audience. And one of the things that I find so impressive about it is how efficient it is. Uh, as a piece of storytelling, it is remarkably condensed and efficient and, again, elegant. I'm going to use that word mm-hmm. a lot, I think. Like, by the five-minute mark, you know where we are, you know who the main character is, or rather the person, you know, he's inhabiting, that he has, that this person has a relationship with Michelle Monaghan's character. You get the quantum leap moment of him looking in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all so... Def- and obviously, you know, a modern audience, you see the quantum leap moment, you immediately understand, oh, okay, this isn't his body, somehow he's got in there. It's so deftly done. There's no fuss. There's no mm-hmm. huge wadges of exposition. It's just there and everything is laid out for you so quickly and efficiently. Is mm-hmm. everything you need to know. And now let's begin. And then, of course, and- you think from that point on, you think, oh, okay, now I know what's happening. And then every subsequent time around you learn that you don't know what's happening it also it also sets up i think that the direction of that first one is excellent because it sets up a bunch of these sort of like pillars these time points so you know mm-hmm. at the, especially at the very beginning the 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 spilling the, the can of uh soda or whatever it yeah. is opening the spilling on his shoe the asking for the ticket um which is you know that's on the the, the first iteration this the second time it happens that's that's where you realize what whoa like things are it's exactly the same but not exactly the yeah, same that's the i got well, you babe uh milestone of like i yes, can see yeah. i can see that we're <laughs> yeah, repeating totally. but i also i wanted to say i mean you said that the milestones in this erica um it plays fair and and it knowing that it's a time loop you see it but it where it's like here are all the clues it's like a murder mystery where there's like a parlor murder mystery kind of thing where it's like here are all of your pieces like here are the characters here's the guy who um drops his wallet and Mm -hmm. the guy who picks it up and gives it to him and all these things where you're like well this is the first time around you don't see it's a wallet that's the other thing you see that interaction but you don't see that it's a wallet which is another lovely bit of deception but it's strangely specific and you're and and you're like this will be important later, right? But you yeah, don't know what it yeah. means, but you know it'll be important later. And right. And I think to the point, as you mentioned, Jason, the characters all get set up. So we see all these different faces that we're going to come to recognize over the course of this. And we see all their little ticks and the behaviors, like the dropping the wallet, like the guy who's ill in the restroom, like all of these things. We get our red herrings too, right? Like the comedian, like how are we, like what are the attitudes of these people? How are they reacting to our main character? And thus, like how do we view them then as who do we find suspicious or who do we find interesting? And we get to know them by the end of the movie and we find out somewhere near the middle that the character, Sean, um, who who is now dead, uh, but uh, but he actually knew them all along. So we're actually learning right. who they are in a way that this character would have known in the first place. Yeah, I, I like the um, Christina Warren, not that Christina Warren. Um, <laughs> the, the ring. The ringtone on our phone is the Chesney Hawks, I am the one and only, which is I think it was the alarm clock in, in Moon. Moon. Yep. Uh, ah. So, and it's also, it's a song that people in the UK know very well, or it, people of a certain age. It's a bit of a transatlantic joke that, yeah, Duncan Jones has said that he deliberately put that in both movies, partly because he knows that almost nobody in the US knows that song, but everybody in the UK <laughs> immediately upon hearing it goes, oh God, that one. Yeah. <laughs> It was a huge well, one hit no wonder. Here in the, it was a huge one hit wonder for a guy called Chesney Hawks here in the UK. It was a number one for some ridiculous amount of time in the charts. You could not 
escape it, and then you never heard from him again. <laughs> <laughs> So when he, after we get the first iteration, we get the fact that he's very uh, disoriented and there's uh, Vera Farmiga, who is uh, his, she's got her Air Force uniform on. She's Goodwin. She's Captain Goodwin. um, And she is giving him, after he is kind of like snapped out of it, she is giving him his mission parameters, basically, which is essentially, uh, and knowing what's coming, you watch it and you see the whole idea here is um, uh, don't pay attention to your surroundings. Don't ask any questions. Just do your mission. And he's trained. He was, he's confused because he was a, what, helicopter pilot? Helicopter pilot, And, yeah. and was in Afghanistan, in Afghanistan and doesn't understand why he's back in the U.S. and what's going on and all of that. But she's like, stay on mission. Focus on this. You can see that in where she is, like, they're all looking around, like, something is not right but um i'm not sure he is clear enough to realize it that um but they do um what they do they do lay out here and in the next iteration the fundamental kind of like science fictional premise of this which is i don't know like don't think about it too hard uh jeffrey wright playing a character very much like his character on westworld by the way i was gonna say i think this was his audition for westworld (laughs) stop clean glasses put the glasses back on Look, look kind of insidious. He's a perfect example of the phenomena of people appearing in films that weren't there when you first watched the film. Because <laughs> when I go back to this, it's like, how is he in this film? And like the, the guy that uh, he follows off the train down. Cass Anvar. From yes, the yes, from The Expanse. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, how are all these people now in this film? Did they go back and edit the <laughs> film did. and put yeah. them in? They did. They used and now the that I live gun. in Canada... Uh, Russell Peters, who who played the uh, comedian, he actually is a Canadian stand-up comedian. This was very clearly filmed in Canada. <laughs> it was in Montreal. Uh, they filmed most of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm pretty so sure like, that this yeah. is the first thing I ever saw Jeffrey Wright in, and uh, it, so this is actually the role that I associate the most with him. So yeah, seeing him almost kind of resurrect the role in Westworld was interesting. You didn't see him in Casino Royale? Come on, that was well before this. Was it? Yeah, true. Yeah, true. it was like 2006. Oh no, you're right. You're right. See, okay, so there's another one where I kind of go back and go, oh, it's him. All right, Felix Um, Leiter. But one of the things I like about this scene as well is that it, again, very efficiently lays out the sort of premise. And we again, we think we have the real stakes, but also the little, you know, kind of almost thrown aside, like this is not time travel. They're very emphatic. This is not a time travel story. Just to head people off, because you've got to be thinking that by this point. You know, I think it, most people watching it by this point will be thinking, oh, this is some kind of, it, like you said, a time loop. But it's not really a time loop. No, it's it's something um, that uh, we actually... I mean, it's pure bunk is what it is. So last week we were talking about um, William Gibson, and uh, his book, The Peripheral, is, uh, I, I'm reminded uh, mm. of, of source code, because it's a similar kind of thing. So what Jeffrey Wright says, and or or, or uh, Vera Farmiga says, is uh, some hand waving about like, well, there's your memory, your short term memory from like a dead guy that is eight minutes long that we can use as a transcript of what happened to find out what happened. But we combine that with quantum mechanics, blah blah blah, and it allows us to do this thing. Which at the time, I, I will I will kind of defend it because at the time the. 
I, I think what's beauty, beautiful about it is what they're pitching is what they think they're doing. And le- at the end of the movie, when we find out what's really happening, which is they're essentially delving into parallel universes, creating them or finding them or something. I mean, they do say that. They do. Say, she says she it's does, like it, it gives us access to a parallel reality. Uh, yeah, an alternate so, timeline. But I think they don't un- they don't believe they think it's disposable or something like that. Or they don't right, know. Right. They, they think don't there's really like know. one. They keep saying about like, this is real life. This is only essentially like this. That's kind of your one and only song reference there there's only like well, one th- real they're saying your parallel out. reality only exists inside the source code i think jeffrey right. wright's character right. explicitly right. says that because that's, the, that's yeah. the name of it but it, it was i i think the the beauty of that is is that when the that final twist comes out at the very end of the movie um i feel like it's completely played fair because at the beginning it is laid out there that they don't this isn't time travel it is something different it is a parallel thing that is one of the great twists at the beginning of this movie is your mm-hmm. mission is not to save the people on the train your mission is a is to find out who did it to stop a dirty bomb going off in downtown Chicago. And, you know, how how it's so obvious that the mission is to save the people on the train. He's the hero. We meet all these people. We trying. meet the nice lady on the train. You got to save them. And the movie says, oh, yeah, we they're oh. already dead. That is such they're a irrelevant. moment. Yeah, they are irrelevant, like so <laughs> yeah. many other things. Okay, so if you think that the movie plays fair, then Jason, how do you feel about the uh, the moments in between where you know he's he's being blown up and he's being zapped back into his his own body or where he thinks his, his body is, and you catch those flashes of the bean and yes. um, you know uh, Christina's face, which is what we get at the end of the movie. What, mm-hmm. How does that fit in? Is that fair or is that a step too far? Because I'm not, I'm personally not entirely sure. I have not cooked up a theory for that other than the fact that maybe that is like, that is, uh, he knows where he's going all along or like that that is the inevitable Future destination echo. of this thing well he says at the end when they get to the bean he says to her do you believe in fate yes yep. because he's mm-hmm. already seen this before so at least at least they hang a lantern on it you know the thing that i think that doesn't play fair in this movie that i'll, I'll just cast it out now is they keep talking about the eight minutes thing but at, at several points the train blows up and then other things happen and then he dies and it is one of those things that in the end yep. i think what they're saying is oh actually it, if you you have more than eight minutes, but I do have a couple of moments where I'm like, "Are you playing fair here, movie?" But then again, they embed it into the solution to the movie, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah, it's it's a hint to the fact that it's not actually just the eight minutes, like they like you know Goodwin thinks it's it's actually creating an entirely different reality. If it wasn't, then it would end. I took it as a kind of we've got this person's DNA off the train and we can plug this into our machine and then we can hop you into that person in a parallel, in a parallel reality. reality that we may be creating by doing this. Yeah. And the the eight minutes. Yeah. Well, that's how we think it works. Well, that, that's the whole issue here, I think, is I don't think they understand. That's how it exactly works, right. It. Like, that's nope. what it comes yeah, down right. to. Is yeah, they, yeah. They've discovered this thing because even later on, uh, Jeffrey Wright's character is like, this could be the only guy who this works with, right? Like, we don't know. And the answer is, like, they are kind of hinting around the edges of something where they have explored this and tried to figure out, like, and found, maybe perhaps even stumbled upon something that seems to function to their own surprise, but they have no... This is, by their admission, I think the first time they've really used it, right? Because they use it to justify, like, oh, we can have eight more of these, you know? And I, I think that they are 
kind of playing with powers beyond what they understand. Yeah. But by mm-hmm. the by the sort of rules of the film, this might not be the first time that they're doing it this time, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, and you could argue that the reason, to Erica's point about the, the, the sort of flashes of memory that are happening beforehand, is that maybe there's like crossover with the other parallel universes and he's seeing a universe in which the train didn't blow up, but... Yeah, it gets a gets a little dicey there. It gets into rom com yeah. territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all de- it's all destiny. But I li- I like that things that seem like they're holes in the movie it turns out are actually just holes in the creators of this technology. It's in their estimation of of what they're doing, and I like that. And then obviously in the final timeline that we see, um, in that one, Goodwin. Um, before the day even begins and that it turns out this plot has been foiled before they even like punch into at Nellis Air Force Base um, she's gotten confirmation of what this project actually does like they have received a message from another from somebody from another parallel universe saying that this is what it is and that's a fascinating idea like now now they know what this thing does but the people back in the original one that we watched they haven't figured that part out yet so and there's no way to communicate that they managed to save everybody on that train except sean fentress who is dead in yes. the right. final oh, it's got a real uh, it's got a real traveler's vibe there too a little bit yep. Yep. Yeah. In fact, we were going to watch some more TV after we watched this last night. And uh, I said, I, ca- I can't watch more episodes of Travelers right now because I'm about uh-huh. halfway through that season because it's like it's the same thing. Like it's yeah. it's uh, it, or it's like similar enough. It's 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 in that genre that it makes it uh, that it makes it worth it. Uh, it just. It, yeah. Go ahead. One of the pieces, one of the pieces of symbology that I love as well. And this kind of ties into what you were just saying is the deteriorating environment uh, that he every time he comes back, at least for the first few times, you know the mm-hmm. environment that he's in is falling apart. It gets freezing cold, uh, and you know is, you think that that's because because it, like you were saying that they're doing something they don't quite understand. Maybe the technology is not quite there, and then you realise, of course, later that it's actually you know sort of a reflection of his mental state. Um, but it's also achieves a third goal within the sort of storytelling uh, framework, which is to set a ticking clock because you think, oh God, he's got to finish this before he freezes to death. Right. <laughs> he's got to, you know, get in there and stop the bomb or whatever before this whole environment just collapses around him. And of course, you realise later that that actually doesn't matter. But again, it's building and adding to the tension. Right. It's got a, mis- a lovely misdirection in there too, mm. right? Whereas you, they have comments about like, well, we can't, we can't like get to you or we can't get to him. And it's like, is it under some, is it in some ice? Is yeah. it underwater? Like is what is space? space? Yeah. Like yeah. where is yeah. this yeah. thing? Right. Like, and so you're trying to puzzle out and it turns out that's exactly the wrong direction for your yep. brain right. to go in. <laughs> it's, such, it's such a great misdirect. Cause you, you are, you are, uh, putting a bunch of science fictional premises into this, which is like he's a guy in a in a tank uh, that they use to do and, and transport his mind across to this uh, you know this past other reality or whatever, and it turns out it's all in his head, and that is one of the great twists here that again is revealed gradually. I really like the restraint this movie sh- uh, shows in mm-hmm. talking about the fate of Coulter Stevens, where he's asking about his dad and how could he be back, and it turns out he's been there for months, and then we finally get the revelation that he was wounded in action and that i think the line is something like you know some of your brain 
function part of your brain continues right. to function continues yeah. to function which is like the worst i mean talk about that. it's like well <laughs> are you alive well i mean part of your brain technically is alive and therefore um which is just like that is a revelation and even then and that the whole thing is just an illusion and that he he's not actually in this thing that we've taken as read from the beginning of the movie is an actual space it's not an actual space and it keeps going with that restraint like the movie doles that out so carefully so eventually at the end of the movie and i think it's incredible incredibly emotional and incredibly important and i love that they do it that we first we see him and he's kind of twitching um in the in the tank the actual body of him and and he's got the wires coming out of him and then later we see the reverse shot where you can see that he doesn't have legs anymore and it's basically like one arm and a torso and his head and he is just a horrendously wounded person who's in, in that slab and and the other little bit that gets put in at some point that very late in the game i i did not remember that this revelation was this late is the whole time we're watching the movie it's Jake Gyllenhaal talking to Vera Farmiga uh, mm-hmm. back and forth and yeah. it's ve- right yeah. at the end you see she can't even hear his voice she's reading text yep. on yeah. a screen amazing yeah, well that's, that's when I watched pitch. it this time around I was looking for that and I realized that right from the start you never get a close-up of their screens yeah. you never even get mm-hmm. very close to an over the shot shoulder of them they're very good at all the shots are either from his point of view through the i say his point of view you know you know what i mean through the yeah. webcam or they're from behind but they're distant enough or they're from the side and they're angled so that you just can't see their screens you can't see any detail and so the fact that there's no image of him on the screen doesn't Right, you know, doesn't register. You don't. You don't realize she's really. got a headset, right? So there, I think it's plausible that she can she's hear his speaking, voice. So you ass- right, right. You assume that she must mm. be listening as well as speaking. Yeah. Well, it's- and you got the fakery too with the fact that people lean over to look at the screen, and mm. yeah. because the camera is framing, yep, and you think, yep. oh, they're trying to get into the camera. Right, like, but and see him on the screen, but no, they're just trying to read stuff off. It, it is a nice, text, yeah. a nice little bit of layering in there in terms of like making you kind of view it through one particular perspective. I mean, I did see that, and I was thinking, you know, is it beyond the the U.S. military to have some kind of text to speech? Uh, generator mm-hmm. that they could actually hear him rather than you know having to read it. <laughs> they just haven't gone that far yet. It sounds like Fred. Send me back in, then switch me off. <laughs> I I did think the one thing that dates the film or will date the film is is the woman asking, "Do you have the internet on your phone?" <laughs> oh God, yeah, that made us all laugh. Yeah, Although- but her answer then is is no. It's tied to the office with a very long piece of string, which makes it you know yes, yeah the fact that yeah. he yeah. asked it that in she the first does. place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But-, but it's the it's how old the phones are, I think, more than yeah. anything that will do. Yeah, well, he yeah. has to bing something at one point. Yes. <laughs> a little yes. slider, slider yeah. with a screen and stuff. So and they it, have it, keyboards. They're carrying, like, Blackberries and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Although, yeah. that actually brings up something else about this movie, which is the very first time I saw it, I... I think just because I knew it was Duncan Jones and I, I kind of, I think, knew that it was a sci-fi movie, I just assumed it was set in the near future. I had never, at that point, I had never been to Chicago. And so when you see the opening shot with the waterscape and the skyscrapers and everything, I just assumed that that was a made-up... <laughs> <laughs> Chicago's not real. It's a futuristic version of Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago? What even is that? Yeah. yeah. This is the first time seeing the movie since I've been to Chicago. I had never been before a few years years ago and and it, that was really we annoyed our kids because lauren and i were we doing a lot of like oh i've been there i've been in that park we've been to the bean i've been down on the river right there same thing now i've been yeah, yeah but at the time when i first saw this movie i was like so 
you know, I know what Chicago is supposed to look like, I think, but that looks a bit sci-fi. Have they added bridges and things? I don't know. <laughs> In a grim future dystopia. Oh, no, it's the present. Okay. All right. Yep. <laughs> Train details I wanted to talk about a little bit because this movie does, a lot of this movie does take place on the train. We get a lot of business where he is trying to do different things. I think it's interesting. I was thinking of it from a video game perspective, especially like yes. it yes. is, it is who do you talk to and how many times you can repeat it is implied strongly that he feels the pain of being exploded every time yes. and mm-hmm. so therefore it's not just that there's a little bit of a ticking clock of how long is he going to be able to go but he's getting more tired and he's he's dealing with the pain of of getting blown up by an explosion every 8 minutes but also he he has this video game like thing where it's like i have an enclosed space there's a certain number of characters there's a certain number of objects i get to i have a save game i have a save point um (laughs) and i need to work this out so it's working a problem but it's not working a problem in a way that um that that is you know a traditional way it is much more like a video game and i think it's fascinating because we do meet all the characters and we do find out things and we do have red herrings where there's there's uh, the guy in the bathroom that he thinks is a terrorist uh he engages in some profiling and it turns out it has nothing to do with it and the train blows up um it, it, like we we do we do uh and the the comedian we he has a negative uh interaction with and by the end he and the used... students with their bag and the guy with the laptop yeah and right, all of these right. yeah. yeah well i think i think I think the video game thing is particularly good i mean i i think i believe duncan jones is a gamer i mean that's why he took the warcraft yes, movie yes, was yeah. my understanding and so the last the last iteration in particular reminds me of you've played a game and you've played this one scene six times and you've like learned trial and error every time like oh no i die if i do that i die mm-hmm. if i do that but then you know it's like when we play uh, action castle 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 and like you're like oh no we know exactly where we need to go and in what order we need to do things so in the last one he's got like i know i need to walk here i need to do this i need to get the gun i need to go down i need to handcuff the guy i need to take his phones bill murray at the end of groundhog day right now he's figured out exactly the steps he needs to do to do a speed run it's it reminds (laughs) me of playing a video game and realizing like okay i've done this thing seven times i know all the mistakes that i made in the past and now i know the steps i need to take in order to do it right yeah i mean i was thinking of majora's mask the legend of zelda game which has a similar sort of time loop element and you have to work out what all the people are doing but i did think they picked it up very quickly i think by about the third loop he was sort of you know oh move the shoe avoid the spillage you know here's the ticket <laughs> he got it down pretty quickly and sort of bill murray i think wasn't there some estimate that he took ten thousand years to get it right well bill murray <laughs> bill murray is not a helicopter pilot well, true. That's right. That's right. Mean, you know, <laughs> it is kind of implied that he's a very good soldier. And a couple of uh, a couple of train cars are not a city either, right? I mean, or yeah. a town. <laughs> and I think there's a, the military thing actually. I think comes to play too in in terms of his demeanor. Like right away, even in the earlier iterations, he has a very sort of business like. Like I don't know who you think I am. This is what I'm here. This is who I am. Like and when he's focused. talking, to, right? Yeah. And when he's talking mm-hmm. to Goodwin, he's like, I know my rights. Have you notified anybody that I'm here? Like I need to get briefed etc etc so i think that there's a receptive nature of that into his personality which is perhaps why they chose him for this uh, speaking of the science fiction elements um i have never seen or been on a double decker train i know these are normal things over there but to me watching the film i was like they have double decker trains in the future (laughs) that's how we feel about your buses they have them in europe too i think i've been on one in switzerland or something well i've never been to switzerland either so and germany or have you oh what it's been erased Ah. (laughs) speaking of the military scott bakula 
Yes. <laughs> I had to look it up this time because I forgot who Scott it was. And the, the first great. thing he says That's on the great. phone is, oh boy. Oh boy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what inspired casting because and again Jones has talked about this and he said it was very deliberate because you have that homage to Quantum Leap in the bathroom when he looks in the mirror at the start and you know that's why they are they were like can we get Scott Bakula to do this uh, and so they did and he just came in for a day and he apparently was quite into why they wanted him you know, nice. he he sort of he didn't he wasn't offended or anything. He was he, he got he understood it. He's like, yeah, okay, I get why you want me. Let's do this. And apparently was brilliant and you know, did it in like two takes. Well, he also got paid really well probably for like a couple oh, hours sure. of work. <laughs> no problem there. He just got back there. So that yeah. scene, I mean, where where he's literally he's calling his dad in a parallel universe where he can't say that I'm your son because he's his son is dead, but he can talk to him. And, you know, it is it is a conversation you've probably seen before in movies. But it, to, to me, it's like that is that is a great use of a science fictional premise to have this thing where he, the tragedy is that he can't actually tell his father who he really is, but he can express he can say I was there when he died and I can express the feelings and can hear the father's feelings and the, that you can tell that the father is also trying to be take care because this is somebody who is a friend of his son and so is also kind of mourning and it's a uh, it's it's a really affecting scene in fact that's the thing that, that I had forgotten about this I remember the arc of it but for me I had forgotten just how emotional this movie gets at the end and it's not just the thing between the dad and the son it's the whole idea of him trying to um, yeah. you know trying to yeah. resolve his mm-hmm. life yeah. and of Vera Farmiga's choice to not let this guy continue to be tortured by Jeffrey right and used as a as a subject and it, it's just it's all um it's all very emotional it's uh it, and yeah. really well done the conversation with the dad actually that reminded me of uh of dead like me the tv show mm. uh, you know being in somebody else's body and not being able to to say the things that you mm. need to say to somebody who's gone but then of course that also sends me forward being like okay so now he's got the family of sean fentress as yeah. he like lives yeah. the rest of his time like what would what would sean have wanted to say to his his family yeah mm. and you can you can fake it in a in a sort of 10 or 8 minute conversation about that you are this person but are you going to be able to fake that long term just pretend <laughs> that you had a head, head yeah. injury i i was kind of wondering like th- what the rules were because you know it's the, the train blows up ev- in the eight minutes but there's a point where he gets off the train and the train blows up and then there's a sort of there's a there's a pause and then he gets down on the the track to do something i can't remember and gets hit by a He's train a fight and it's in a fight he gets tossed onto the tracks yeah. oh yeah so one way or the other you ain't getting away from it you right know? he gets shot in one i of was them. just wondering yeah. if he had managed you know just sort of run in the opposite direction yeah i think that's know. i think that's exactly the truth is that his, him dying in these various parallel universes and and getting reset back the way i read it having seen the whole movie is that it's he actually because they don't know what he's doing he actually could have probably just run off and that would be it mm-hmm. he would have escaped and that, and, yep. right, and that right, would have been right. the end. there's like a there's like a buffer almost that he gets downloaded into that's why the movie kills him because the movie doesn't mm-hmm. want us or him to right. learn that yet 
Right, right. Right. And that's also, I think, why it's so important to have Goodwin turn off the life support to his physical body um, once that time runs out. Because otherwise, you know, he, he's going to live out his entire life as Sean Fentress and be happily ever after with, with Christina. And they'll get married, have children. And then when he's, you know, 102 years old and he finally dies peacefully in his sleep, he would probably wake up back in that same body <laughs> uh, having to start over yeah. again. Yeah. So, yeah. so that's why her, her sacrifice of the rest of her career is so important because it also saves him from, you know, a possibly an eternity. A, but she's getting a promotion in a parallel universe. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> like it's it's like a rubber band, essentially. Like, it doesn't snap back if you cut it. Right, yep. Right, but it does also free him from any obligation to the real world, as it were, right. to our universe, mm-hmm. which I think that is timeline, yeah. just thematically, I think, is important to do as well. But, yeah. I mean, it's kind of a life-affirming end, really. Even yes. though it is couched in tragedy, there's a great affirmation of life and seize the day and, you know, live every uh, day like it's your last and all that sort of stuff at the end, which is very positive, despite the tragedy. And it did start that way, too, because Christina's character actually starts out the very mm. beginning of the film. One of the first things we hear is that she has uh, de- you know, decided to quit her job and move on and try and do something completely new and different, which is in exactly yeah. <laughs> where the movie ends with him doing that. I feel like uh, that uh, Michelle Monaghan does a lot with not a lot in this movie just because uh, and the script helps a little bit, too. But like how many aspects of somebody's personality can you see when they're essentially doing the same thing and yet and that between her performance and what the script has her do where the variations are just enough different for us to get to know her right because she could be a one note she could be a puppet she could be a one note yep. character yeah, yeah. and we do get enough when they escape onto the platform or when he reacts weirdly and she has to bounce off of him we get a sense of who she is right because otherwise if she says the same thing every time it she's like a zero she's a cipher well and we also have the hinting there that there's something else going on because the first one of the first things i noticed in this and in the previous watching i think was on the second or third loop the way she says something is different. Like she's like got her, her chin on her too. hand or something. Yeah, her posture has changed. So at that point, it's like, I, I feel like that was probably done deliberately to make you scratch your head and go a little bit. Like, it's not like Groundhog Day where it's like, oh, it's the same thing. Like literally yeah, he even, the same he thing even every time. Says, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal even says, oh, yeah, it's, the it's same the same, train, but, but different. Not exactly. But different, yeah. 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 Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting, and it does give you more room to explain the, to like explore those characters and their and their experiences. But I was going to say about the the sort of life affirming nature of it. Like, I found that last not last, but like I found that freeze frame yeah. shot surprisingly surprisingly touching, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like where everybody's having a good time, uh, yeah, and yeah. and like you know. Shot. Right. And they yes. pan over everybody looking happy. Right. And his whole point is like he has tried to make everybody on this train as happy as possible in this last instant that he is possibly right. going to be alive. Because he's won the video game. Right. He is. He has done yep. everything right. he can. And he doesn't have any expectation that he will survive past this moment. So this is his... feel good about everything. Yeah. So I've heard interpretations of this scene in that, you know, this is the point where he the big red button, which seems a bad way to do the user interface but never mind <laughs> but the big red button that kills the 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 him uh 
and then we get the freeze frame i've seen people say well this is the point where he actually dies, he dies and yeah. everything mm-hmm. apart after this is an afterlife you know he he has been taken well, to or, or it's just his, or it's just his last moments there's i'm always reminded there's an old apocryphal story about aldous huxley that his dying wish was to be dosed with lsd just before he died uh and they, this moment of the film always reminds me of that because i always wondered if if doing that would have that kind of time stretching effect where you effectively live out the rest of your days in you know a half a second of real time so th- the end of this film always just makes me wonder is he doing that or is he actually going on to live a life in a parallel world i'm going to buy what erica is selling here which is the idea that <laughs> that we never see him cuz cuz and this is where the movie i think doesn't play fair or at least it's trying to base, base itself on on the premise it's set up uh, for us when it's already shown that that's not the real premise because the freeze at 8 minutes is because his timer is going to go off and he thinks he assumes mm-hmm. that he only has 8 minutes and then his life is over but we first off we've seen that the train blows up and he still continues on until he's killed so that that's yeah. the case so the movie's trying to hide the fact that he actually lives because they want this moment where it continues. And and I think to Erica's point, presumably he stays in that parallel universe until the moment that he dies, at which point he's returned to his body, except because mm-hmm. she's pulled the plug on him, um, what will happen is he'll live out his life in the parallel universe. And then the moment he dies, he's dead. And that's he'll the end of the die. movie. Yeah. yeah. Which is what he wanted. Which is what he wanted. Right. So, but it is a beautiful moment and I love it. And it it is him again. He wins the video game. He knows everything about everybody. Sort of like that wonderful set of scenes in Groundhog Day, right? Where Bill Murray knows everything about everyone and is, and, and loves everyone and does everything that every but he needs to have done so that they're happy. Um, he's mastered that town. In this, he's mastered the train. He like yep. he gets it in the perfect moment, and, and <laughs> beat, the comedian the is telling level. jokes, and yep. everybody is happy. And like I did it, I did it. And then uh, he could be happy, and that could be the end. And the movie sets us up to believe that that's what's happening. Is now we pull the plug, and he can die. And then there is the real twist, which is, oh no, this is really a parallel universe because um, he sends that he has sent that message to uh goodwin and we see her receive it and she actually gets right. it yeah right. and and yep. and on the tv they've foiled the bombing and uh jeffrey wright is disappointed in his office that this would have been a great opportunity for them and she says i'll come back later because she has just had her mind blown about what they've really been doing and that's all really great uh and that is that that is the nice twist at the end of the movie is that this is not this is really not just time travel this is a complete parallel universe and that he can live out his life here and there are and there's a moment what is it there's a moment where jeffrey wright says something about like you could call and order me a pizza and i wouldn't get it and i thought boy i i really wish there was a scene where jeffrey wright got a pizza delivered to him and he's like what and that's the end of the movie that's your post-credit sequence is that a a pizza is delivered to jeffrey wright headcanon accepted that's my one nitpick is i i was just like how did he get how did he get her email address yeah (laughs) well he's in the military and he knew which which military base she's at at, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I work. I 
work in the government, I could I could if, of of the province that I live in. So I could I could literally just type in the address of of any person that works for the government, even if I'd never heard of them before, just because the formatting is exactly yeah. the same. Right. I, it's funny too because early on I was looking for more clues at the beginning, wondering like yeah I did again like you guys. It's like oh, I remember a lot of this movie, but I didn't remember a lot of the nuts and bolts. And so there's the very early on in the first scene, there's the shot of the Walter Reed tote bag, which does become relevant later on but at the first part it was like oh yeah that's right he's like he's like injured or dead like is he in the hospital is he seeing mm-hmm. things or things like bleeding through i'm like it took me a while to remember and that's not exactly how it works but it is also kind of a foreshadowing mm-hmm. of like they could have picked any number of different military indications right that would have mm-hmm. let him find that person but they picked a you know a hospital for often for soldiers who are, who are wounded in battle yes. as he has been so yeah that's a nice little touch i think in there I mean, one of the things with this, I mean, like like a, a, a successful video game, there has been talk of a sequel, um, and it, it's it was I think in 2014 they were talking That's about the last doing anything's a sequel, been said about and then it. there's been yeah. nothing since then, and Aww. it's like I can't see how you would want to make a sequel to this other than the fact that it was a successful I would movie. watch the crap out of a well, sequel. I can see why they'd want to. I just can't. I think they're having difficulty figuring out how. That's the that's the trick. You've got to you've got to imagine that any money any movie that makes this much money, people want to make a sequel. But everybody surely sits down and goes, "How? <laughs> What's it about?" <laughs> it wouldn't be so much a, a sequel as just a redo because you'd have the same movie with a different disaster. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the point the of that. The yeah. Wikipedia page says that they were originally thinking of doing a TV adaptation at CBS, which reminds me of what, what was the Limitless, right? Where they turned that into a TV show. There was a movie yeah. that they turned it into that was a sci-fi kind of light, but also just a thriller. And um, I look at this premise and I think this should be, if it's anything, it should be a TV show because then yeah, you've yeah. got That's your your source code squad that has right, only, yeah. but although mm-hmm. isn't there, wasn't there a, a seven days, right? Was a TV show seven where they could days, send people yeah. back in time seven yeah. days to solve a, a problem. It would be kind of like that, except it would be eight minutes or whatever. I don't know. And it's effectively quantum leap at this it is. point. You know, right. it's yeah. right. and, and I think it's, you know, I was thinking as I watched this, like, oh man, every once in a while there is just a really good, like, standalone <laughs> right? sci-fi movie. You know, the one that made me think of actually was Arrival. And it's not like it in mm. tone, but it has that same sort of, A, it plays with narrative a little bit, and B, it's like a standalone movie a that short didn't story. need anything right. before or after it, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like, I, you know what? It's nice. Also, to Anthony's point from earlier about this being elegant and well-crafted, I remember I was looking to see before I, you know, I was like, oh, what time do I need to start watching this to be on the show? I was like, oh, man, it's an hour and a half long. When's yeah, the last yeah, time yeah. I saw a movie yeah. that was 90 minutes? <laughs> it's so, so good. So so nice that it's it's uh, it's not two and a half it's hours taught. long. It's taught mm-hmm. in that 90 minutes, right? Like, that is what works in its Nothing favor. is wasted. It's one of those yeah, lovely movies where everything is necessary and nothing that is unnecessary is present. It's, right. it's exactly as long as it needs to be and no mm. no shorter, no longer. So I like I really like how they handle the resolution of the bombing plot as well. I think it's very clever. There is a there's a, a red herring early on. But then we get that moment where he um, he sees the wallet being put back on 
the train mm-hmm. after it's been handed to him and he all he starts to figure it out and what's really interesting about the inter- the iteration where he figures all this out is that he fails right he fails in the world because he gets shot and Christina gets shot and they're laying there looking at each other as the mad bomber or what bombs at midnight uh, packs up <laughs> his van and drives off to blow up Chicago and and the train blows up and the train blows up because there's a turns out there's a backup which which is it's funny because it's like that goes to him it has nothing to do with him solving what he's there to solve yeah. right and yet yeah. it bugs him and he's like that's that leads him to tell Vera Farmiga um I got to do it again. Like I can get it right. I know there's a second detonator. I need to work on this. Like it's not necessary, but he wants to get mm-hmm. it right. And it is necessary for the end of the movie. It is. It is right. But you know whether he intends to walk off that train uh, <laughs> successfully or not, and thinks that it's possible, it is necessary. But I do like the fact that the moment of great triumph for him in terms of his mission ends with him and Michelle Monaghan laying on the ground, dying or dead, and the and the bomber free to continue on his plot so it's a moment of victory but it's also a moment of abject failure at the same time and i love that the premise that the movie drags us to that point where we feel both of those emotions simultaneously i think it's pretty pretty brilliant and then the next time you know he finds the guy and he's like how do you know everything about me (laughs) it's like it's magic (laughs) it's science fiction it's the source code man somewhere there is a parallel universe where chicago just got decimated by a dirty bomb sure but in this one dude (laughs) i i know everything about you and it's like how do you even know that it's like it's forget it science fiction such a good scene what i was thinking in that scene was like if he hadn't been shot very well you know and had just been shot and would lie there for you know the next 10 hours dying slowly (laughs) unable to do anything about the the bomb yep yeah he died he died of the dirty bomb then you hear it Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty dark. But like, I, 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 you know, that's it's it's a moment of like, yeah, you got him. You figured it out. And then, oh, no, everybody is dead. This is very bad. (laughs) And the train still blew up. This is terrible. Right. Like that. It's a it's a nice little uh, setback. But at the same time, you're energized because you're like, yeah, but I got his name and I got his I got his uh, the make make and model and license plate of the van. And and that is the thing that in the prime timeline solves the case right like that's how he that everybody is celebrating except he needs to play it one more time yep yeah there's a surprising amount of humor in here which also is nice because it does add the levity and the situation is strange right like i love the the bit at the beginning where he asks the conductors like have you seen anything suspicious anybody strange and the conductor's like you're "You're strange weird (laughs) yeah i like that i like the scene where he gets first time he breaks the gun out of the strong box and gets tasered yeah uh which is also kind of hilarious uh and the scene where he says to michelle monahan's character like all right i you know would you do something kind of strange and maybe a little bit dangerous you trust me and she goes no No. (laughs) it's like wow that was honest you know like i i enjoy and and you know you frankly as we talked about a little bit i think jake gyllenhaal and michelle monahan have really good chemistry here which helps a lot Mm -hmm. uh because both of them manage to sort of sell this relationship that as i think as we learn going through it like because we're learning again along with him they don't know each other that well right like they're like a couple people who met maybe they just ride the train every day as far as we know and that's how they've encountered each other and she talks yeah yeah yeah. because she talks about like i've been waiting for a week for you to ask me out and so like we don't quite know what the whole relationship between these two people is going in and i think especially the first time through we probably think it's more 
it's closer than it actually is um and it's kind of interesting to watch that you know because you do have the sensibly these two strangers who are learning a lot about each other because she asked him at one point he mentioned something about the military she's like oh were you in the military and you're like oh she doesn't know she has no idea who this guy is yeah i mean Uh, this is helpful for him because he has now has to sort of fake it for the rest of his life right right but i and it does culminate in that nice moment at the end too where i think he says you know if i only had a minute left i'd kiss you again and she goes again (laughs) yeah i mean when you think about it if you think about it too hard like literally when they get off the train um you know she's only known him him culture stevens him for eight minutes for eight, eight minutes. minutes and now they're going to i guess spend the rest of their lives together i don't know except yeah. except he doesn't know does he know where he's got his wallet like he doesn't know where he lives and he doesn't know how to teach because he's a helicopter pilot and he discovers that he's married and it all goes horribly oh, no. wrong <laughs> source code two the divorce bite, bite your tongue <laughs> divorce code Oh boy! Oh dear! That's not good. Trademark. I want to shout out a performance that is uh, thankless in some ways, which is Vera Farmiga as Goodwin. She (laughs) gets to wear a a cool-looking Air Force uniform and a headset, and she a lot of reverse shots of her talking to a guy who's not in the room with her. And there is a rapport there that you know is got has got to be hard as a performer because she's. Basically, she's got the one tech guy who uh, uh, wheels in every now and then, and she has Jeffrey Wright scowling every now and then. But basically, she is on her own to do the that side of the conversation. And at least Jake Gyllenhaal has all of his train stuff that he gets to do, not just the stuff that's in his little pod. But uh, Vera Farmiga is just... She's just staring down the barrel yeah, of the camera. Yeah, yeah. He's the got his pod, but yeah, how often do actors break the fourth wall and talk right into the camera? It's not a thing that they have to do all that often. In this case, she's not just talking into the camera as if it's the audience she's talking to. She's trying to make a connection with it um, in a way that at the end, as we said, we discover she's never even heard anything. So she's, right. she's got to be this compassionate and yet firm hand on the, on the wheel to, to save all of these people. But she's... She's a kind person as well. She balances so many things, I think, very, very well. And that's a that's a tough job. It is a great performance, yeah. It's a fine line this character has to walk, right? Because she has to do her yes. Air Force job, but she's also trying to relate. And, and it's very clear, something that's not subtle in the movie, right, is that Jeffrey Wright, he's basically the mad scientist. He does not care about this guy as a person. He just yep. wants him to do the job. Whereas uh, Goodwin does care about this guy at least a certain amount and it mm-hmm. is a you know so she's trying to walk that line which is also a good setup for that moment where she decides this can't go on and goes in right. and unplugs him well because yeah. so much of this is about being not just heroic but honor right like because the whole backstory we do get for culture stevens eventually is that you know he was a guy who saved people right he got people mm-hmm. out of his helicopter crash right he sacrificed himself and you know frankly his we're, he's the hero right in every sense of that mm-hmm. word we hear is his father you know, talk about that. Uh, and that's kind of what drives him to go back and save everybody at the end. And I think, you know, there's a rapport there of soldier. He mentions at one point, like soldier to soldier, yep. come soldier on, like, tell soldier. me, tell me what's going on. And I think that's a, that establishes a bond at that point. Right. And at that point, mm-hmm. I think clearly she has honorable intentions. She is trying to do the right thing, both in terms of completing the project and saving lives, but also in terms of saving this one life. Yep. There's a reason that he sends the email to her and yes. not to Rutledge, even yes. though Rutledge is the one that's in charge of the program. No, Rutledge just gets the pizza. That's all he gets. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to have to be good enough. Parallel Universe pizza for one.
Okay. It's deep dish. What? Well, it's Chicago. Well, it's Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but they're out and they're in they're in at Nellis Air Force Base, right? So they're in in Area Fifty One. Essentially, is the yeah. implication uh, there. That's and true. Speaking of Chicago, like I mean, that bit at the end is that is the best advert for the cloud gate. I think, <laughs> isn't it? Has ever been committed to screen. I always forget that's what it's actually called. Yeah, when, I went, when I went to yeah. Chicago, I was absolutely like, I have to go to that thing. I have to go and stand there and take those photos and look at this crazy sculpture just because of this movie. Yeah. It's a, very impressive that they've got that whole crane shot from uh, up into the, the bean from behind them, which is into the reflection, right? Which is the whole idea. There's a, there's a, huh? See, and we, reflection. And but, we see Frederick de Grand Prix in the reflection yes. as well. Well, we don't uh, see Jay Gyllenhaal. I miss, yeah. I miss that. Uh, but I, they, they erased everybody that's, from the well, shot, That's though, the right? brilliance of it, yeah. is that if you've ever yeah. been there, you know that, that they had to do some very nice CGI work to er- erase oh, yeah. the crew. <laughs> but yeah, it's good. It, it is Chicago for a movie that wasn't shot in Chicago, other than for certain scenes, including the stuff yeah, that the is in the park. Yeah, just the external stuff. Um, it is... Uh, it uses its location well in that you get the you get those beautiful shots at the beginning and at the end of the movie of Chicago, uh, and it is uh, it sets the it grounds the movie. It, it it is good to have it there. I'm I'm always it it feels like Chicago even though it wasn't actually made. That in was the f- the first thing my fiance said because she lived in Chicago for many years. So she saw just oh it's Chicago. Yeah. It's like yep, yeah. <laughs> it is except for all Most of the it. parts that Most aren't. Of it. But, yeah. yeah, brace yourself for the explosions. All. <laughs> yeah, that train is in Canada, but outside of chicago <laughs> it's sure. a long way to chicago from there yeah that's a long train ride i've had long yeah. train but ride. it's parallel universes of chicago which means that it is chicago and is not chicago that's a <gasps> yeah see if i told my sister that maybe reference. she would watch the movie yeah. except that um she <laughs> she i'd have to ruin the movie for her yeah. to tell you her can't that do that you can't it. do that and you, you don't want to ruin this i mean th- this really is moon followed by this i had such incredible high hopes right for duncan jones's career uh you know what what a two fantastic movie to start out with and then as jason says mute is is not all that great and then warcraft i mean you know i don't begrudge anybody taking a gig like that because he must have got paid so much money to make that movie um but i really want to see what he does next to see if he can you know return to the kind of quality that these first two movies have i mean rogue trooper sounds like it's going to be another big budget is um, that his next confirmed yes I think Picture, I believe right, so. Right. Um, okay. And it's like, that just sounds like it's going to be, you know, another big CGI fest. So, Well, it's got to be, hasn't it? Yeah. 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 Hmm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Not enough people making small movies, but I guess that's, you know, not where the money is. That's, yeah, that's just no, the state of the industry. Uh, any other final thoughts? It's a short movie and we don't have to talk about it for two hours because it's only a 90 minute long movie. Uh, final final thoughts about uh, Source Code before we go? It's it's really good. And I think as Anthony, to Anthony's point, like it is just from a craft perspective. It's really well made. It is really uh, just like tight. It is a tight movie. And that is not something you see a lot these days. You do not see mm-hmm. a lot of movies where it's economical and it just sort of hits its beats and does its job and delivers on everything that it sets up. And I think that's great. Like, I mean, I love movies like that. And I just, I wish there were more of them. And I wish Duncan Jones were making more of them. Um, but yeah, it's just really, it's it's just such a spot on movie. And it's so underrated, I feel like. I don't think a lot of people think about it that much yeah and i I think it just sort of i agree with you jason i think it is one of the best sci-fi movies of the last decade and i 
I was surprised, you know, even when you brought it up as a podcasting topic, I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's a good movie. And I was glad to go back to it and find that it is still a good movie. I mean, I think it's interesting. Like, uh, we well, I watched Russian Doll like two weeks ago or whenever when it came out, and there's a bunch of things at the moment. Like, there's the Happy Death Day uh, sequel that's just come out in the last week or something. So I've kind of had these time loop things on the mind, and then when this came up as a topic, it was like, oh yeah, um, this was one of those, a really good <laughs> one of those. Yeah, well, we'll have to do uh, Edge of Tomorrow. The terrible title for a good, pretty good movie sometime. But this is, yeah, I don't like that this is forgotten. Like I said at the very beginning, this is, uh, I think this is unheralded, but like one of the be- better sci-fi films of the decade. I think I would I would definitely rank it fairly high on a list. It's been a good decade for those kind of films, but this is, um, should not be forgotten. It is of a genre, apparently, of the repeating things. <laughs> genre if mm-hmm. that can be a yeah, genre. Time loop a, genre of which there are a surprising number yeah, of stories really actually are. people th- think of groundhog day but it existed for literally a, a century before then it's just that groundhog day was kind of the exploit that was so successful yes. that since then there has been an absolute explosion and it is a whole genre unto itself i, I recommend going to the tv tropes page for this which i think is groundhog day or, or something like that and it has a list of all the sort of tv shows and movies and going backwards and forwards. It's this- 1201 with Jonathan Silverman, also an excellent example of that. <laughs> Made for TV, but still real fun. Well, and, and every show had, like, you know, you mentioned Star Trek, Jason, but Discovery had one of those. Legends of Tomorrow had a really good Star- time loop yeah, episode. Stargate SG-1 yeah, had no, one. Stargate has a great time loop episode. Yeah, well, that's a rich play golf there. into the Stargate. Yep, yes. yep, yep, that is. And the um, Daybreak, if anyone remembers that oh, show. Oh, yeah, Tay Diggs. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is, uh, I think the beauty of this and, and watching it, I was reminded again, too, that this is a time loop movie of a sort, but it is like the fraction, the percentage of this movie that is a time loop movie is actually way smaller, I think, than you might expect, because there is, mm. as we've said, so much else going on. There are so many other layers to that onion that get peeled away that you realize, um, you know, it's not just about and i would argue a really good one of these kind of can't just be about the loop right you have to have some other unifying principle or you are watching somebody play a video game and here you've got i mean the the beauty of it is you tell everybody it's a time loop movie and then by the time you get to the end they realize oh it's a it's a crazy parallel universe movie it's like this whole other thing and i love that's one of the things i love about it is that it is not just uh constrained by the time loop stuff it's more than that and that's what makes it good i think that's yeah, a great movie. Here, here. Yes, we. It's it's agreed. Then we've decided. <laughs> it's good. The committee so has agreed. <laughs> That's right. All right. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up. Then all that is left to do is thank all of my test subjects. I mean, I mean, panelists <laughs> who are definitely not in a pod somewhere. Anthony Johnston, thank you. Thank you, Jason. I decided to take your advice. It was good advice. <laughs> it was good advice. James Thompson, thank you. Uh, hit that big red button. I'm done. <laughs> Dan Warren, thank you. Uh, thanks. I will not be studying for the LSATs. <laughs> and Erica Ensign, thank you. Jason, everything's going to be okay. Aww. Aww. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Um, if a pizza comes to your house in the next five minutes, I sent it. <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Bye.